Uh, Nedim, are you there? I certainly am, yeah. How are you? Oh, thank you. Yeah, uh, did have a bit of echo off David then, but it's gone now. Are you all hearing everyone okay, yeah? Yeah, loud and clear, yeah. Yeah, this is my huge fear for this, is at some point everything falls over, so <laughs> fingers crossed it's going to be And Thank you, though, very much for coming on. Uh, really nice. appreciate it. How are you doing? Yeah, very good, thank you. Very, very good. Very yeah. Good. Oh, good. Uh, I just want to start, because uh, we've done a podcast before, haven't we? Uh, yes. A long time ago, or maybe a long time ago, about your career. But we've been talking about stuff today on the charity podcast. I just wanted to start, and uh, obviously David will chip in and ask stuff as well. So uh, we'll co- try and co-host. We just we did a, do a Games of Our Lives where we look back at past matches. We did the 2008 Old Trafford Derby oh, victory yes. today. Yes please. yes, please. Now I've always, <laughs> yes, please, I've always wanted to ask players this is, it sounds so, yeah, a strange question, but what is the experience like playing in a, a game like that? Um, do you mean after you win or just in the build-up to it? And all that stuff? Well, let's general? take it in stages then. <laughs> uh, the yeah. build-up was obviously quite unique for this one, but just generally Derby Day, how play, how you feel nerves-wise. And just once you're on the pitch, I find it fascinating about how hard it must be to con- concentrate on football in a way. Yeah, um, so... Coming through the academy and all that stuff, it made me very, very blue to the point where, like, academy games, reserve games, 19s games, like, the Manchester derbies were huge, you know, and then I get into the first team, but now it's different because, say, whereas in the academy, they were quite even, and, you know, in some ways, we were, we were arguably better because uh, we get so many derby wins. First team's a different matter. You know, Man United Man United. This is almost prime Man United. So... Like in the build up to these games, you know, it weren't taken as seriously. I think they preferred other yeah. games for the Manchester Derby. It was just like, oh, yeah, we, we get to play Man City. And looking back now, you know, they didn't even play us every year in Premier League history. Sometimes we were multiple divisions away from them, you know, which <laughs> seems kind of, kind of mind blowing when you think about it. But um, yeah, in that game, so it was under Sven. We beat them in the first game, it was early doors in the season, but United was still Man United. And then we were doing the build up to this game, and it was, to, it was the anniversary of the Munich disaster. We were bang out of form. We were having so many questions like raised about us. And I'll tell you from experience, like Prime Man United, going to Old Trafford was, that was a chore. That was tough. That was a tough, tough place to go. When you're walking you're playing out, your mind. We, we, we but, felt uh, it as well, Nadim. You don't have to worry about yeah. that. <laughs> it doesn't, it, well, like you've not, it's not like you're defeated before you get out there. But, you know, the backlog of information that you have about playing at Old Trafford isn't good. You can't just fall back on positive experiences and say it's going to happen again. You know, you go in there thinking you're prepared, wishful, all that stuff. And then for years, it made no difference whether you played well. Right? You just ended up getting nothing. You know, that's a horrible, yeah. horrible feeling. So now you're in the tunnel. You're in the crowd going for it. United are all next to you. Big players have got nicer shirts than you. They're looking like, you know, that we want to win this, want to do that. And it's I wouldn't say it's intimidating, but you don't look as if you should be there, if you know what I mean. Because we just looked to shambles. We were just a hodgepodge of just just a complete mix of players from all different parts of the world brought together to try and find success, and the wheels were kind of falling off. So as we we're walking out, I said, like, "Okay, it's Manchester derby. Let's do what we do. Let's see what we can do." I think Benjani, it might have been Benjani's first game, stuff like yeah, that. It was, yeah. And then, um, yeah, the first half pans out. And to talk about that game in particular, Steve, that was one of the best games I ever saw Stephen Allen have. What I loved was like Real Ferdinand wanted to try and move the ball out from the back, pass it. 
to his midfielders all this. And one thing Stevie was very good at was reading where somebody was going to play a ball. Like, mm. I know this firsthand. <laughs> and he does it by just playing dumb. Like, he'll just be standing in the turn like, oh, there's nothing going on here. I couldn't possibly affect the game. Then you put your head down, play a ball, and he's standing right there. He's intercepted it, and he's creating an attack. And I'll be honest, it was hell on earth, so much so that one training session which Stuart Pierce used to do was like, it almost makes you want to quit football. We used to play like what was essentially 11 v 11 in the penalty box with little goals on the sides of the 18 yard box. So you, you're playing like, oh, well, it's width ways, so it's the longer side. And Stevie, like if you had the ball near your goal, you're having to play long. You, you're in a 30 yard pitch and you're playing long just because he's like living in your head. And that's what happened to Rio Ferdinand that day. And it was, it was brilliant. Rio tried to like bluff him, double bluff him, triple bluff him. By the end, he was like quadruple bluffing himself and it was a joy to watch. But anyway, so <laughs> we, so uh, the rise what, scored. What, what, what's, the, what's the feeling when, when um, Vassell scored? Like, I, I don't know how many, how many players in that squad had even experienced being in the lead at Old Trafford. So what's, what was <laughs> that like? <laughs> yeah. So one, one bit of that story which myself and a couple of others remember fondly is the fact that we were good friends with Darius Vassell and we knew that every time he'd scored in his career, he'd never lost. So Darius scoring in the first half, well, should have been a red flag for Man United, but yeah, he did it. <laughs> I thought, oh, this is interesting. You know, we're we winning, we're winning, we're winning Old Trafford and United weren't like, they were obviously on the front foot and all that stuff, but it wasn't like they were completely tearing us to shreds. I think Donny was like fantastic that game. Yeah, people defending was. well. Just like this is weird. Like we're winning at Old Trafford, and then you realise like time's just passing it. You know what I mean? You keep looking at the clock. Okay, so that's twenty minutes. That's thirty minutes. Okay, that's forty minutes. This is this is really weird. This is really weird. And then we went in at half time. I'm like looking at Stevie Island because he's good friends with Darius. He's looking at me and I'm looking at Darius and I'm like, hmm, this is interesting because, as I say, he'd never lost a game when he'd scored. So then obviously the second half goals, there are more on the front foot. They're like, you know, and they score and all that stuff. But then to finish that game, what an incredible feeling. I'll never forget, like, you talk about the first happening in your career and that was a significant one for me being a blue, was walking off the field at Old Trafford having beaten them. Hmm. And I knew, like, how big a deal it was because as we were walking off the field, like, I was buzzing, waving to our fans, buzzing, like, what a moment. I think it was an early kickoff as well. This is incredible. What a feeling. Yeah. And then I saw a United fan as they're walking down towards the tunnel. He ran probably across two stands, full tilt, to ca catch up to us in the tunnel and started berating us, giving us this and giving <laughs> us that. And I thought, yes, that is a sign of success. When you can, when you can anger a Man United fan due to a result, it means that you're probably doing the right sort of thing. So yeah, it was, um, it was a remarkable day. And to be fair, everyone wrote us off. There was no way we were supposed to win that game for the emotion of the day for them, for the fact that they were on the front foot and they were doing well. We were sort of stinking a little bit. But yeah, it's one of the probably best days and best occasions of my career, and, you know, arguably life wow. as well. 21st victory at Old Trafford in 28 games. Mm -hmm. I think it was 1970. Oh, Steve said this earlier, I forgot, 1974 or something like that. So it's been a long time. Been a long, long wait. Do you look at the clock a lot during a match like that? Uh, yeah. Or during yeah. matches, or do you just and do you can you phase out the crowd? Um, you can't necessarily phase out the crowd because they are constantly making noise. And you know, one thing which I reckon most people would sort of well, maybe they won't agree with this, but as a player, I've picked it up. Like when you play in a game, there are lots of bits of football which are actually quite boring, but when the crowd noise is there, it makes it sound like it's exciting. Like the excitement when yeah. there's a corner. There's a free kick, there's a throw in <laughs> and they're like, 
attacking third. It's actually yeah. really boring. I have, when... I have a theory, Nadam, that um, corners are the, the single least dangerous thing that everyone thinks are dangerous. Yeah, like, I'd say, I think the conversion rate of corners is, like, tiny. I think I saw it's tiny, yeah. Recently. Everyone yeah. always goes, oh, we're rubbish at corners, but the truth is, like, everyone is. That's the, that's yeah. the thing. I think it's, it's more the fact that you can create an opportunity from it, but it doesn't necessarily mean the opportunity is going to be taken. Like, that's, that's the thing about it. And when there's a crowd there, like, say, for example, you're playing at Anfield, and if you don't, if you lose the coin toss, and they play the the ends that they want to play, like that's the first problem. Like I always say, if you win, if you win the toss at old um, Anfield, change ends because then this whole thing of oh they're kicking towards the cop end in the second half is going to suck the ball in. It's like nonsense. No, it's not. But when you're caught up in it, it feels like that when you're under pressure and the crowd are getting right behind their team, it feels like you're under real pressure. Like oh gosh, they, that's another corner. Ooh, that's another this, that's another that. But it's all false. You know, it's, it's not it's not real. So the crowd noise and stuff, it can make a difference. And as for, like, timekeeping, if <laughs> I tended to look when I was tired, so the longer it'd be before my... <laughs> if, I my if, I, if I did my first check and it's, like, 25 minutes in, I'm like, this is successful. But there have been times where we've been getting battered and I'm tired. And it's, like, literally 10 minutes in. I'm like, oh, my God. Am I really a professional to be this tired at this point? <laughs> but then also, like... If you look at the clock more when you're more anxious, whether yeah. it's positive or negative, like if you're pushing for a goal and you think you're running out of time, you look at the clock. If you're hanging on by a thread, you're like looking up at the clock. But sometimes some of the best games when you're just playing and time passes and the ref will blow his whistle and say that's half time. Like, oh, already? You know, like those those are good games in my opinion. I when, the when thing Michael, is a fan. Sorry, Dave. Yeah. yeah, David, I was just going to say, as a fan, I've got to think of don't look at the clock if City are winning in a tense game. It'll go backwards otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I'm, I'm exactly. entirely the other way. So, because the interesting thing with this game, Adam, is that Michael Carrick scored after the 90th minute. So you don't know how long he's left because the clock sticks on 90. So yeah. like, we 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 feeling at this point. Oh God, not again. Yeah. 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 Well, not necessarily a case of not again because how often had we been winning to think that United's going to come and score a second to like draw with us? It's more so a feeling of United's just going to score and just win the game. So it was weird. It was really weird, but there's, I think, the two parts to you as a player, because there's a part of you that plays and you know you respect the opponent, you respect your teammates and stuff like this. Then there's the part that just is like everybody else in terms of just being in love with the game and knowing the sort of narratives and feels that exist within Premier League football and Fergie time. Like it doesn't just disappear because you're a player and people from the outside are saying it. Like you, you, you're thinking, oh god, this is it, isn't it? This is it. Oh, this is Fergie time. Like you can't escape that. And that's a horrible, horrible feeling to have when you sort of <laughs> got like one put in both camps. It's like, oh, okay, I'm in control here. Oh, but I've also heard about Fergie time. Is this it? Is this what it feels like? And you just you sort of anxious about it. But you know that final whistle. Oh, what a what a feeling winning Old Trafford, and then from there it seems like it's a regular occurrence now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, our away form is better than our home form, is it not? Can mm. can I just quickly ask about uh, Sven as well? Go on. How did he? Because we we mentioned this as well. Like I find it so hard to define Sven Goran Eriksson, uh, but I did say it seemed players like playing for him. How did he prepare for this match? And what? How do you view him as a manager? Did you actually the players like him? He's a, a laid back style. I mean, is that a front or is that just how he is? No, it's it's he's very very laid back. But you know, he can also be. Um... He can also be serious when he needs to be. Like he's got the best intentions of the players at heart, and he wants you to play to your best ability. Uh, that's one of the sort of beauties of him. And 
when he say like he give, if he gives you a compliment he literally means it the one thing i realized over time is that most managers never give you compliments so yeah he's um <laughs> he's he was he was genuine he was very very genuine you know he had he had people's in good best interests at heart wanted you to wanted you to play nice football you know if things weren't going right then he'd be trying to figure out a way to do that without necessarily like bringing a hammer down on you if you needed to shout at you shout at you and all that stuff but He's a, he was a brilliant coach. He's, he was a really good coach, really nice guy. And then one mm. thing which sort of goes under the radar, like a lot of people, when things aren't going well, they say his demeanor isn't great when he just sits on the sideline, but he sits on the sideline because he's prepared his team for the game. And he knows that he can't play in the game. So sometimes when you see a manager like ranting and raving and shouting and pointing here, there and everywhere on the, uh, on the sideline, it, it actually makes players more nervous because like they, I've had some managers where say if you're playing right back or on the wings you get 45 minutes breather from the manager constantly just getting at you <laughs> yeah like you forget about that like come here come stand in now go press him now go do this now go do that now go do whatever but like Sven was a lot more calm with it all and as a consequence like he was he was good he prepared us for the game you understand you understand everyone who comes in to manage Man City understands how big Derby is like they all I think they always will I think they understand the sort of like feeling from the fans and all this stuff so they always try and prepare and they like even Pep now, he understands it's three points within a journey itself, but I'm sure himself and all the players really savor a Derby Day win. So, um, yeah, Sven prepared us for the game. Obviously, we weren't the best team in the world in the best sort of form, but he wanted to be successful and so did the players. Thankfully, we um, were able to do that on the day and somehow to do the double over Man United. Hmm. Is it fair to say your view of Sven is slightly higher than his predecessor? <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, Mr. Stuart Pierce. Uh, I don't want Stuart to force Pierce. you into any answers. <laughs> no, 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 no. So I think it's just it's interesting because like Stuart Pierce and Sven couldn't be any more opposite. If you know, mm. like Stuart did his thing and whatever, but like was, I suppose maybe the club was different then because interestingly, like. I think at times we forget the significance of Sven because I think he was the first like foreign manager in the Premier League history for the club. Mm. And then add to that, he was bringing in a different style of football. And even though we talk about the ownership that we have now, like it was Shinawatra. It's like we forget about the Shinawatra's start of that season when we're bringing in Bojinov, Zalanos, people like this. I think Garrido was coming in. Like we, we've arrived. We've arrived. We won the first like four or five games of the season. We've arrived going to Stamford Bridge. Everyone thinking, oh, we're going to get a result. And like six one later, but anyway, but like Sven was, Sven was different. It's like he don't, he was the start of the new era, and he he was very significant because he was sort of changing the mentality amongst the players within the um, within the within the club as such in the way that people should be. And I um, I, I respected him, and Stuart he did his thing. But you know, at the end of the day, obviously as players we struggled and all that stuff. But it was once a time when we scored a goal. At home in February, then did score again at home for the rest of the season. <laughs> so if you I want know. to talk about difference in manager, <laughs> that's all. That's literally all I need to say because I think that speaks for itself. That that year you talk about Naden was my. I was at university in. Uh, that was my first year at uni, um, and I used to come home for the games. There was one home game that I didn't come to, and it was Fulham, uh, where City won three one. I think it was. Uh, so I, I, they, they scored 10 in the Premier League at home all season. I missed 40% of the home goals yeah. uh, by missing two games. I missed that one in Middlesbrough. I missed 40% of the goals that they scored yeah. at the Etihad that year. Yeah, shame on you, my friend. Shame on you. <laughs> uh, can I just... Yeah, I was, uh, I've, 
the other thing was, I don't know if my memory's just making a lie here, that I'm sure the goals were only at one end as well. So I did, I just didn't <laughs> see goals at my end of the stadium by Which, yeah. either team, home or away, because our defence was good, was it not? You know, well, it, it, I'm, Obviously, being a defender, I'm going to sound like some sort of defensive shill here talking about, yeah, you know, the defence was great <laughs> that year. It was no, like iconic, got, it was transitional. Yeah. But it, we just well, we scored some goals away from home, and I think that was the first year of maybe like Michael Johnson and things like that. So there was some good young talent in there. We managed to get by on away results, but I it's that's so bad when you think about it. It's so bad. Like did it, I remember Samra scored a penalty against Everton, buzzing, won the game. From there, did not score another goal at home. Like one, two games, like all right, fair enough. And then you're like, well, this has been three months now. We've not scored. But we're scraping by on nil nils and stuff like that, or like tough loss, tough one nil losses and stuff. And it's it's tough because I, I always find um, like this this is the defensive side of me going missing now. I always think when I was on based on the years when I played, when I'm on the pitch, I would rather be in a team who can win a game seven six than one that can only win one nil. Mm. Because with the seven six, you always feel like you have a chance. Like when you're not playing well, there's still goals within the team, whereas the ones whereby like you know, do you think defensively you're strong? Ultimately, the game of football is like no team doesn't concede goals because you're playing against fellow professionals and everyone's earned the right to be in that same division. So you can never guarantee you won't concede. But that I, feeling I find, of like, yeah, you know, I find that scores horrendous. I find that really interesting though because I always point to that 2006 7 City season as you always hear pundits on uh, TV and on radio say, uh, the line that they always say is they don't score enough goals to stay up this season. And I always point to that season because I always think the teams that go down are the ones that let in too many goals. And uh, because City scored 29 that year, which was the same as Watford, who were bottom of the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just having a quick look at the table, I think the next up from that is 34. Charlton got relegated. Oh, sorry, 32. Sheffield United got relegated. 34. Charlton got relegated. Um, 35 West Ham stayed up with around about the same point as City. But crucially, all these teams were letting in 50, 60 goals. City let in 44 that year. So it was like, it's 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 a, it's a good defensive record. Yeah, it is. But let me um, let me link you to something here, which maybe, you, like, not many people sort of pay attention to this. But if you look back at, say, last season, the season before, and the season before that, there's a greater correlation amongst 80% of teams in the league between the points that they have on the board and the goals they've scored than the goals that have conceded. Yeah, yeah. Because, because like, it's, it's, it's ridiculous how it works, by the way. Like, I was looking through it, and I went back another year, went back another year, and I'm like, oh, wow. And then the times when you find the exception, it's like, well, they then have an obscene... Like, a team that scores loads of goals but has fewer points, they concede an obscene amount of uh, goals. Or the team that's not scored that many goals finishes higher the defense is rock solid and you picture like they're winning games one nil all the time but those things aren't necessarily sustainable you know a team as long as you're middle of the road in terms of how many goals you can see that at at worst then the goals you score will dictate where you finish like i I challenge anyone to go and have a look at the table now table last season and then when you find the exceptions you'll know why because it's like teams like wolves yeah. Whether there are hardly any goals which are scored in their games in general, but they end up coming out on top with the occasional 1-0 and this, that, and the other. But the relationship's there. And like as I said, tell me, defensively you're strong, we concede in the 80th minute. That feeling of thinking there's no way we're going to score here yeah, is game horrendous versus the one whereby, you know, we've got this guy, we've still got a chance. Just put it in the box and something will happen. 
that's, I mean, that's there, the, the, there was a game in that uh, 06, 07 season where I remember thinking that after about four minutes. Um, yeah, so I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't. Know if, I don't know if he played in it. Um, but the, City went. To, City went to Wigan, um, and Emil Heskey scored after about. 40 seconds and then uh, they had a free kick on the left and they swung it in and Nicky Weaver came off his line for it and Richard Dunn flicked it back over him and it was 2-0 inside four minutes or whatever and I yeah. remember thinking at that point there's literally no point in watching the rest of this game <laughs> yeah yeah it's, it's crazy like I don't want to sound negative about it and especially from a defensive standpoint like clean sheets are great whatever but you know some of these clean sheets as well to add to it so, there have been so many games in my career where I've walked off with a clean sheet and we got battered and the, and the other team missed tons of chances. This is ones where defensively we were strong, but we conceded. And now we're getting called a calamitous defence. Like, there's no... The, 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 the feel versus real of, like, not conceding. It's, as I say, it's, it's weird. Like, some teams will literally... They'll come off a field and they'll be told that, oh, you defended really well today. The other team, like, if we're going to get really pervy with stats, they'll be like, oh, they've, got, they've had an XG of 1,000. But they, but they didn't manage to score today. But, you know, defensively, the other team was good. Well, not, not really. The team just didn't take the chances. So, yeah, it's all yeah. about goals for me. All City, about City, goals. That's, that, that's City 2019. They they didn't score enough goals, but were the top scorers in the league. And they let too many in and had the best defence. It just, like, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Didn't really Good understand job, how it worked, but, yeah. Yeah. Mm. We should segue, Navy, maybe, uh, about Ask Nedham, if it's all about goals, <laughs> about City being boring. Uh I'm sorry, if I'm sorry if there's repetition because, of course, you two have probably talked about this yeah. on uh, Wires uh, podcast. But it is something you know that I would like to hear from you, Ned. How yeah. much does it wind you up? The narrative and the narrative that have naturally has died down now that we've drawn a game with Southampton. It's all over. The title race is well and truly back on now after the draw. That's that's all I've been catching. It's, it's amazing, it. isn't it? It's unbelievable. Yeah. How much it, does it annoy you? Ah, uh, I think. Um, I could talk specifically about that, but I think that just the feel of just tons of narratives in general is what's up, is what upsets me. Like even say start of the season when City were after Grealish or after Kane, yeah, they could have gotten yeah. both of them. And I was on a show and people were saying, well, if they get this, then it means that the league titles not theirs, then isn't it? I'm like, why? Because yeah, because it is. It's over. They're signing those players. <laughs> like it's just done. I say why? Because oh, you know it's Harry Kane, Jack Grealish, like. I think as maybe it's because it's me as an ex-player, you can never rule out the opposition because mm. at the end of the day, we all get paid to play football and we're all at the highest level. That's that's the way this works. And in Harry Kane and Jack Grealish, they're coming from Aston Villa and Spurs, who are two teams who haven't consistently won things in year in, year out. Just so it's all like that's the defining fact of anything. I'm like, come on, relax. And then with this boring stuff, boring talk. Like I said on, on uh, Dave's podcast the other day, like get your, take your frustration out on Chelsea and Liverpool. Like City winning isn't the thing that's frustrating you the most. Is the fact it feels non-competitive, but that's not because of City. City are doing what they do. City are playing a certain style of football, which other people would dream to have. They would love to have that. Like up and down the country or in the Premier League. Oh, do you want your team to have lots of possession, create tons of chances and have really nice players and have nice, like whatever. Who's going to say no? Who is going to say no? So it's not boring the way they play. It's boring because nobody seems to be able to, no one so far has really figured out how to sort of nullify them for a long period of time. I, just... I think, I can't remember if it was you, Nadam, that said it or if it was Sam Lee on that show, but it, it, somebody said something that, that struck a chord that it, it just won't be the same when Guardiola's left. Guardiola no. is, is, is 
one of the reasons why City are so good. And yeah. you look at other man- other managers have had the same resources that, that Guardiola's had and hasn't yeah. produced football anywhere near as good as this. So yeah. once once Guardiola's moved on and decided, because, I, like, I, listen, I don't know if Guardiola's going to sign a new contract or not, but what I do know is that City are in a position where they'll go, if you want to stay, we're going to keep you here as long as you want to stay. Yeah. Um, so when he decides that he wants to leave, then... Whoever comes in has got a hell of a job to try and replicate that because there's, there's just there's probably nobody on the planet who can do it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And this is you know at the end of the day, this is how you pick managers and stuff like that. Because for me, like this is Pep Guardiola's brand of football. The team that he has isn't necessarily a team that's completely full of superstars. Because for me, like people when people are saying City are cheating, it's this, that, and the other. Like I, I remember on the show, I tried to be respectful because I think he's a good player. But Nathan Ake is playing left back. Like, what, what are we talking about? Like, Zinchenko comes in, so is is he like a hundred and fifty million pound left back? Well, he's not. But the sum of the parts makes them great alongside the manager and the setup and the infrastructure that they have. That's that's the key thing for me. Like, Pep is incredibly unique in the way that he the challenges that he puts forward towards his players, and the football and IQ and technique of the players makes them like be able to do what they do but this is this is Pep's football whoever comes in next might not be able to do that because they've got their own brand of football and their own brand of football probably isn't going to be as iconic as Pep Guardiola's has been for the last 10-15 years like what's 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 the problem the team you go man for man with the team and it might this is me sorry I've gone off the rails here I apologize (laughs) never apologized but the, the team itself when I looked through the players and when they were signed and so on and so forth, very few of them were like a Jack Grealish where they were signed as the hottest prospects in the summer. They were signed and they fit in with the project and they've earned the respect that they have today. Like whether it's Gundogan, whether it's like, like people think we got flipping Kevin De Bruyne from Barcelona after he's just won the Champions League or something. Like he was playing, he was playing for Wolfsburg, wasn't it? He yeah. signed him from Germany. You've got other players, Ruben Diaz from Benfica, Edison from Benfica. Like, do say Ruben Diaz was third choice. It was third choice. He's been incredible. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't mind as well, but you go back to um, again. You go back to what some of the pundits were saying when uh, players like De Bruyne was signed, and it, like a, a lot of the conversation was fifty-five million for him. I don't see it. I don't see it. And then <sighs> like down the line, it's well, he's just a cheat code. Yeah, it's just all these players, in my opinion, have earned have earned the sort of the tag that they have now. The way people speak about them, they've earned it through their performances. And as a consequence, I think that should be championed more than City just buying them. Like maybe City saw something in those players that they knew could fit into their setup. And as a consequence, they've performed. Like not everybody along the line has performed who they've signed, but some of the ones who have, they've been incredible. But again, to talk about Man City, the beauty of them is that for as good as KDB is, or this guy or that guy, they all just work exceptionally hard for each other and make the right decisions, both going forward and in attack, and don't rely upon one individual. Like why is that boring like that i would have loved to have played anything like that but instead like it's like 10 and ones or like eight threes or like these guys attack these guys defend no one else does this no one else does that like when you look at it some of the i think for me some of the players that play for city for as well as they do play they play within themselves they just do the right thing somebody is probably is probably a far better dribbler than we see but it doesn't matter because they're just making sure they make the right decision, do the right job. Cal Walker could run forward a whole lot more, but he doesn't because he understands his role within the team. Someone else might want to break into the box more, but he understands he's not going to because Bernardo Silva's gone into the box. Like, uh, God. Does that sum up Jack Grealish <laughs> a lot for you, do you think? 
Um, Are you I think, fine I think, with how he's done? Uh, I, th- I think he probably would have been expecting to have a greater impact numbers-wise and stuff, and that's fair enough because he was the main man for Villa and then going into a team which has got everything, you'd think you'd just be able to just crack on from there, but it shows, again, yeah. the sort of, like, for, how yeah, hard for, it is to be successful in that team. Forward players don't just slot into Guardiola teams, though, either, do they? No, no, they don't. You're right. But, again, everyone else, like, your role is your role. I remember when he first came in, I thought, well, when the ball's on the right-hand side, will he break his back to get in at the back post? And I think he did when he scored against Arsenal or something like that. I thought, well, this is going to have to be the new you because when he was at Villa, the ball would go to him and someone else would have to get on the back post on the other side. But the reality of the situation is, this is the position. This is what we require from you. If you do this, we can be successful. If you don't, we won't. Because they're not off City aren't off the cuff. You know, There's nothing off the cuff about them for as good as they are and how much they could be. Like if this if it's not him killing you, it's the next guy. Or if it's not that guy, it's the next guy. Like that, the you know we could talk about strikers and all this, but I know as a defender, I would have hated to come up against a team where you know five or six players could affect you in a negative way. Mm-hmm. I think that's what City have right now. Well, just to track back, it we're asking impossible questions. We asked questions from Twitter earlier. Just track back and I think links to the Pep effect. Someone asked us to name your first eleven of all the players Pep's managed through Bayern. Well, Barcelona, oh. Bayern, City. Right. And I think the general consensus is that not many City players get into that eleven. <laughs> what does that say then? You know, this boring I mean, team. that's and that's not slagging off the City player. I mean, some of the competition at his previous two clubs is... Exactly. It, it's beyond elite. But, yeah, I think it shows we haven't got the best 11 players in the world. It's, no. it's Pep's influence, is it not? Yeah, the, like the the players deserve a ton of credit too because football and IQ and technique and yeah. all that stuff, you know, they are incredible. But there's a guy who's bringing out the absolute best in them, and you know, there's a you can have conversations about whether they like the managers and so on and so forth. Because I think at the highest level, players respect their managers more than they like them. But it's very easy to respect someone like that when you play this brand of football and win the amount of games and stuff that they win. Like, I'll be I'll be honest with you, was it 32 wins in the last calendar year? For most teams, that's three years worth of football, you know, and they've just done it in the space of just 12 months, you know. So he's he's special. The players have become special, but the biggest and best thing about them is the fact that that special uh, sort of success that they've had has come from the collective. Other teams, like Kane wasn't firing for Spurs at the start of the season. It looked like Spurs stunk. You know, like if mm. if other teams, it's, one man, it's like one man or two men or bust. Start the season... KDB wasn't playing at his absolute best. Sterling wasn't at his absolute best and so on. City was still winning games. And then they start approaching their best. Then like that ceiling gets that little bit closer because now everybody's in rhythm. Like, that's just who they are. But then Pep makes four or five changes every week. What what changes in terms of style of play? Nothing. Like that's 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 truly, truly remarkable in my opinion. But do you like to have played under Pep? Oh. Mate, like, I, I, <laughs> just giving you a giving you a hey, tapping at the far post hey, there. No, tapping at the mate. Are you for real? Like he he's so I loved him when he was a player. The places where he's managed loved him. Then for him to come and manage my club, incredible. And I remember I was lucky because I, I trained with him. I trained with him. I was, I was, I was gonna say this. Did you? Where, where, he came on trial, didn't he? Uh, he did. Yeah. Came on trial with Stuart Pierce. Yeah, and he, I think he wanted like eighteen months, and City wanted to give him six months or whatever. So it's not like it's prime Pep or anything like that. But I like training with Pep Guardiola, I'm like, yo, what is going on here? This is unbelievable. But yeah, it like I am. 
I've got no intentions of playing pro football and this offer will never come, but he's the only person I'd even consider buying a pair of football boots for. If he's, if he said to me, <laughs> I want you to come and play in the flipping staff match come summertime, I'll be like, yeah, sure. I got you. You need 12K from me. I'll give you 12K pep because you're the guy. Like he's an icon for me. He's one of the great, for me, he's one of the greatest of all time. And I think the fact that some of the history of the Premier League has been created by that, by our team, it's just, like, he's, he's, he's the one for me. I'd, I would have loved to have played with him. Even if, like, even if he, didn't, he wasn't having me as a player at all, I know I'd get better because the yeah. standard would be so high in terms of everything else. Like, this was the case when City were first bought over and, like, Mancini was coming in and all that stuff. Training Monday through Friday was really hard, but it was because we had some of the best players in the Premier League at the time. So if you could manage Monday through Friday, you never feared Saturday because you knew the challenge was going to be far different than playing against like Tevez, Aguero, Zeko and people and Yaya Torre, people like that. I, I asked Pep uh, in a press conference about, must be about three years ago now, about uh, that trial. Uh, because I, I was in my head, I was thinking, oh, I'll get a nice little podcast feature where he says something about, yeah, it's changed a lot since I was here. And he was not having it at all. He was just not, <laughs> he, he would not bite on the question at all. And he kept saying, oh, well, the, the player that I was when I turned up here, I was I was useless. They didn't want me. I was useless. I wasn't even good enough for City when they were like that. I, I was I was terrible. <laughs> Is he telling the truth? What was he like? He was te- he's telling the truth, but so what you know what i mean like i remember city this was the time when we were signing people from like car window heart attack yet but we still signed him and he couldn't run because he, he said when he was running it's like he was running on glass with his feet <laughs> past our medicals past city's yeah, medical exactly. in five minutes yeah medical but basically medical was the manager says do i want him yes or no yes if it's a yes then he's fit if, if it's a no then yeah well it's an issue this heart condition's an issue whatever like he's pet might not have been pet but still if the club wanted him it wouldn't have made an ounce of difference. Just think, all of the old school City fans, just think back to some of the players that arrived at Man City around that time and then ask yourself if it even mattered whether they were anywhere near their best or not because the answer is probably going to be no. Mm. On the downside from Pep, though, he does shout a lot on the touchline. Yeah, he does, he does, <laughs> he does, he does. But in fairness to the, um, to the players that are there, he shouts at everyone, not just, say, the right back that's on that side. And he's trying to do stuff which sort of encourages play. Because here's the... Um, it's all hand the, signals, though. Does yeah, anyone yeah, really yeah. understand what he's doing? Can, or oh, just, wait, can mate, you imagine yeah, being his well, cleaner? Oh, <laughs> you know, the, the, best, the best is like sometimes when you're in a, like a loud stadium or whatever, and like the manager's shouting your attention, you look over to him, and it's, it might as well just have been on mute. I'm, not, I'm thinking, what's this guy saying? You just give him a thumbs up and then just jog away. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, got, I got that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He can't shout at me from four yards away. He can barely hear someone four yards away. But um, yeah, to talk about like the antithesis of Pep. Uh, so it's all about for him. It's about pass move, pass move, be in the right place, offer, offer like space, create an opportunity for your teammate, make the right decision, make the right run, timing, pass everything, wait the pass, the works. Like there's no surprise that City, some of the goals he scored, the lights happens, but they don't happen by chance. They're happening because they made all the right decisions up to that point from whether it's the run at pass or like breaking at the back post to, to like deliver the ball there. I had a manager when I was at QPR and we conceded a couple of goals um, from sort of like playing in midfield. So he said, it was for, I think it was for six weeks. He said, no, you're not allowed to play anymore. There was a game, played against Ipswich away. I played two passes. The second pass was in the 92nd minute of the game and it was a back pass to the goalkeeper. And I thought, nah, something's off here. This isn't, this isn't for me, this. This is not for me. So when you think about somebody who wants to play total football, just realize there are other managers who, who will not allow their players to pass the ball. 
Just get your head around that, fellow pros. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, his influence in English football is, is it for you unparalleled? I mean, you just see how others play now. Uh, you yeah. got, Howard, when you've seen our, our seven aside team play, it's 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 it goes all the way down to the bottom. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I think some of your <laughs> matches have gone viral on uh, online. To be honest, rightly so. They, for some reason, don't put the highlights up where I'm making saves. It always seems to be going past me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can, can I change the subject slightly, if that's okay? Because none other than Johnny Marr was bigging you up earlier on this charity podcast, Nedham. Okay. Uh, saying yeah. how much he, he enjoys your punditry work. Oh, lovely, lovely stuff. How, how much are you enjoying your pundit work? Is it something you really want to get involved with in the future? Um, Big style. Uh, yes and no. Yeah, uh, I do enjoy it because I enjoy the very specific things that I do. Like I've had a couple of agents say to me, "Oh, you know, we should we should talk. I can get you lots of opportunities, this, that, and the other." And I'm like, um, I don't really want to do too much, to be honest, because I, I like I just want to enjoy what I'm doing. Yeah. Like so, just know if you see me on like Dancing with the Stars or something like that, just know like I, I've lost the plot completely. Or you've seen me walking <laughs> yeah. on Saturday, like oh, there's, there's been a goal at Tranmere. Oh, this this is like no, it's it's not for me. And please be the masked singer. Oh, <laughs> can you imagine? I don't. I I. The irony behind it is that like I know I speak on a very like white, big platform. You know, it's the BBC for example, it's ESPN, it's the Athletic, and so on. And I'm giving takes about like the hottest club or whatever, but realistically, like I'm not that. I don't. I don't. Not bothered about being famous. I don't want you to. I don't want to be known for like this take or that take. I just like to give a more realistic account of stuff that's actually happening on the field and why it's happening, and then tell stories along the way because it's that sort of like insight and storytelling which which get which people seem to enjoy. You know, not everything's yeah, I... the end of the world. If I may, Nadam, I think I, I think one of the reasons why a lot of people like your punditry is that it's not there for the headlines; it's there to explain. And I think, yeah. and what what I mean by that is there's there's no situation I can think of when I've heard you talking on whether it's on Five Live or whether I've seen videos that have been done by ESPN or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no situation where I feel like you don't hold the opinion that you're putting across, yeah. honestly. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, not, it, yeah, it's right. not you're not there to kind of to kind of get people riled up and, and get people uh, to engage with it. It's very much. Here's what I think. Here's why yeah. I think it. And, yeah. you know, here's some of my experience. And I think that that honestly shines through for me. And I think that's why a lot of people I think that's why it resonates with a lot of people. No, I appreciate that. And it's and it is. That's exactly how I try and run through things, because I hate I hate not being able to explain my opinion. Because I think from after I explain it, you know, you don't have to agree with it, but you at least understand what I'm trying to say. And it's based on the fact that, like, I was, I was there. You know, I've lived it. I've seen it. And obviously other people within the game have different experiences. But what I'm saying is more realistic than, say, like, with all due respect, there's a guy on um, one of the channels I'm on who stopped playing 2004, and he's talking about something that's just happened this season. But I left the game a year ago. So... Having started my career in 2004, the game is far different now to what it was back then. And the perceptions that they had were perceptions which were right for back then, but don't count for right now. So I say, well, this is actually what it's, it's more like this now. But, do you think do you think kind of pundits have a shelf life in that same way that you yeah, look at my, some some managers because like managers for instance, there's a lot of managers who will have been good managers throughout the career, but football's moved past them. 
No, I don't. I don't think they have a shelf life just because the audience can be so varied, and some people like have been raised on that guy, so they wouldn't necessarily all of a sudden turn their back on them and say, "Well, I don't really respect your opinion anymore," because they, you know, as I said, they've grown up on them. Like, say, um, Graham Sooness or whatever. You know, as a younger person when I was playing, I thought he was like incredibly dour, but there's an older audience than say people are older than me. Who buy into him because they remember him as a player, remember him as a coach, and respect his opinion a lot, especially when talking about today's game. Because interestingly, for most people age-wise, their opinions on the game, whether they played or they didn't play, they tend to be quite similar. Like a younger audience has more sort of like empathy, I think, towards say players and nuances within things. Like younger audiences now, you know, they're more like live or die by stats and stuff like this. Whereas older generations, it's the feel. Oh, he looks a bit this. Oh, he looks a bit that. Oh, he's, not, he's not this. You know. Back in our day, back in my day, like, I swear to you, the back in you'll, my you'll day. Ca or, you'll catch yourself saying that sometime, you know. <laughs> well, you say that, and I can tell you for a fact, if, I, if I'm saying it, it's just to discredit the point I'm trying to make it about how it's different, <laughs> how it's different now. Because, like, youngsters, as I, as I left the game, it was like, social being a, so, being a youngster on social media was becoming crucial. When I entered the game, there was no social media. So the people who are in the game now, the different squads are younger. So the behaviors are different. Like when I first started, I was 17 and like the average age of squad might've been like closer to 30. People mm. with kids, people with that. But then as I was leaving, I say when I, when I was at QPR right at the end, the, the average age was about 24. It was like, it's completely, completely different. But I understood like this is, well, this is what it is. I can't just impart my old school, like this is what it has to be because the game's evolving. For the scrutiny that they get now in terms of games, which are televised, the uh, the sort of fact you can be scrutinized all the time because people can just search for you online and just deliver an opinion to you all the time. Whereas for us back in the day, you're waiting for a newspaper to tell you how well you did or how badly you did, or like a radio show to talk about it for like 20 minutes before then just gonna go and play the hits or whatever. So it's, it's different, you know, and like some of these other guys, they're not necessarily moving with the times, but they still have an opinion. And that's the beauty of football because whether you wanna hear like, say there's tons of people who buzz off like Arsenal fan TV, but more so after Arsenal lose, because that's how they want to consume, yeah. you know, yeah. their sort of review of their game. Then there are other people who want to hear something a bit more sensible. You know, maybe they're into the athletic or something. But at the end of the day, that, that's the beauty of the game. But the downside is, is when, you know, the sides won't been listening to each other at all. Or like I'm trying to say something sensible. Like, um, sorry, I'm, I'm off again. But in the say when Lukaku was dropped against Stop Liverpool. Stop saying sorry, Adam. Okay, so when Lukaku got was dropped against Liverpool. Um, the, this is this was the example. There was Frank LeBeouf and there was uh, Craig Burley who were talking about it, and they said it's, this was after the game, so it's a proper like hindsight take. They said, "Ah, oh, you know, he's done this or whatever, but you know they should have just fined him and then just put him in the team. The game was too important. Should have just done this. Like that's that's the right thing to do. And now you know it's cost him. I think this is the first big mistake Tuchel's made. Got it wrong. And this was all based on the fact that Jackie scored the two games prior. And I said." Okay, so what we're hearing is that Tuchel spoke with his players, discussed the matter, and they all decided that this was the best punishment for him to keep him out of the side. And as a consequence, you're now saying the players and the manager are wrong for doing that because they should have put Lukaku in the team. Firstly, Lukaku in the team doesn't mean that they're definitely going to win, yeah? Secondly, yeah. the moment you create a double standard within football, like as a manager, your respect dies. Like it dies. I've seen it firsthand. You treat everybody the same, whether it's laissez-faire or pure aggression. 
you treat everybody the same and you have more respect, you start to create, well, this guy's okay, he can do it. That guy's okay, he can do this. But you there, you can't do that. You lose the players. And as soon as you lose the players, you lose before you, the performance goals. And before you know it, you lose your job. So like the Tuchel did the exact right thing according to the standards that are set by Chelsea, which is why the players were happy for it to happen regardless of how good the player is. But for them back in their day, that would have been what would have happened. But me talking about this day, this is why today happened. But yeah. some people still believe that the right thing to do is what they said. And other people have gathered now that with these big clubs, it's all about the collective and the beauty of it, which makes them really, really good, is that these big occurrences are so rare. And the reason for that is because every person knows they have to carry the weight because otherwise they're replaceable. Like no one player is bigger than any legitimate big team that's going for titles. I'm not trying to set a trap here, but would Roberto Mancini's final season be an example of well, that? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the internet's getting really bad. I wouldn't want to deliver <laughs> such a such a wild take um, on the airways. But yeah, so as I say, certain... no. But you understand, a lot of City fans still refuse to believe that Mancini did anything wrong. But, uh, if well, you know what I understand, problem. because of course he's a legend. He won the league. Yeah, he's, but he I, won the... I'm just saying uh, the final season is on him. <laughs> is it I, not? I, I'm, listen, I'm I, him I, leaving I is on him in a way. Yeah. This the the as is the case with lots of things to do with um, with press or whatever. If I talk, because I was one of the people who who like struggled when he came in power. If I say something that's accurate about that time it seems mm. like i'm and it neg negative it seems like i'm just saying it because i didn't like him yeah. one thing about him i respected the fact that he brought the titles to manchester city and i know how he did it because i saw the way that he made the team train and the sort of vision that he had for the team was delivered on the field and the reason for it is because we did ten thousand hours worth of team shape like that we literally could play blindfold that's what it blindfolded that's what it was but he did create certain double standards and once that happens as i say like People go off you, you know what I mean? And, you know, you do try and play for each other and so on. But it's always fine playing for each other and disregarding a manager when things are going well. But it's when things are going badly that you really start to think, like, what is this guy doing? Like, this isn't right. The sense of injustice, as is the case with many things in life, the moment you, you, you pick up on it, it's very hard to try and act like it doesn't matter. Because it does matter. It always matters. And as I say, if everyone's going to be treated horribly then let everyone be treated horribly but if it's these guys but then no no you guys are okay it creates the division in the squad creates like their dislike of a manager and then when a the guy's like sitting there telling you oh just do this just do that just do whatever you don't believe in it as much especially when when you're not winning games mm -hmm. uh, just one final question stay you back onto uh, the punditry it's good to see city uh ex city players have you know, a place now they're getting mm. uh getting jobs in the media i always found it very weird that i've heard people say well the media is full of liverpool ex liverpool united players because they used to win stuff as if they've got more of an insight because they played for you know hugely successful sides i don't think it really works that way but no. if you representing uh, and uh, just a follow-up to that, I, yeah, I'm interested on that first point, your views on that. But secondly, do you feel under pressure to try and be impartial because you've got a link to City? Or do you feel, are you comfortable that what you say is fair anyway? Um, to start with the second part, like I don't fear, <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't fear being um, impartial because that's my whole, 
that's my whole stick or whatever. Yeah, like, I, I, I think from on on that as well. Just from from my point of view as because um, I for people that don't know, I produce on Five Live sometimes as well. I, I'm I'm very aware sometimes that people know who you are. So people know that you played for City, and like I don't think it. I, I think they will take that into account anyway. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's that's exactly right. Like everyone knows, like because first of all, they want to always ask you questions about City. They're not asking me about like what's going on at Brighton. Like they want to double down on City stuff. So you talk about it, but I think I've been very fortunate because from whilst I've entered, from since I entered punditry, City have basically won eighty percent of their games. So it's very easy to talk about them. Not a great performance. That was a great goal. Yeah, this guy's playing well. Yeah, they're doing great. Yeah, we know. But I, I like like I say, I, I my whole thing is being impartial because I I've been on the other side of things. And I've heard yeah. it when like bias kicks in and all this stuff and it's nonsense. And I'm always aware that whenever I talk on radio or some other media platform, the person or team who I talk about, they don't have an instant right of response. So you've got to be very wary about what you say because what you say might end up being treated as a fact, even though it might not necessarily be true. So it's never about throwing somebody under the bus. It's about being as realistic as possible about the game because I think at times we sort of like have a false sort of fantasy about what it's like how everything's great, how oh, this guy's doing that, this is how you win, that's how you win. And it's not and it's not that. So I try and be as realistic as possible. And like the dream for me is if I'm doing if I'm covering City, City play well and they win. It's easy because I can talk about what made them play well and how great it was. If City lose, then emotionally I'm frustrated, but I can still talk about why they lost. And it's not just because, oh, this guy's not good enough or that's not good enough. You know, there's there's nature there's the two teams on the field. And I'm, I think I'm very good at talking about two teams. So to talk mm -hmm. about the, uh, the, first, um, the first bit of the question, it's very interesting because I wasn't even really that aware about how many United and whatever people there were in media until Man United was on fire, like literally a dumpster fire. Then all of a sudden, all the guardians of Man United are out there saying, yeah, but Ole's, Ole's still good. You know, he's, Ole's this, Ole's that. Like, that was a whole talking point. And you see them all start coming out. Other people who aren't associated with United are calling it for what it is. Yeah, you know, he should probably go because he's not, he's, he's like taking the club backwards. Whereas he's like, yeah, but, you know, what chances he got with the Glazers? It's the Glazers, you know, all this. I'm like, come on, piss me out. But um, <laughs> obviously they do have their issues. But yeah, it, media, as I see it, the biggest faces aren't necessarily the ones who have the best takes, but a lot of them have the biggest profiles. And timing's obviously a thing with it. So the biggest profiles would tend to come from players who were successful for the biggest clubs because then people want to hear it. Because whether or not they talk nonsense, the fact is they've still got a name which is recognisable and they know that certain people want to buy into that. But what for, always frustrated me as a player was those guys were very good at talking about winning league titles and Champions Leagues. But I was like many people where, say when I went to QPR in 2012, so when we stayed up on that last day, like there was a celebration in our dressing room and for the years prior, I was told you can't celebrate finishing 17th, but then, because it's stupid. But then I mm. was in that dressing room and I understood it because it wasn't about yeah. finishing 17th, it was about staying in the Premier League. And when you are like an underdog to do so, it's worth celebrating. Like you want, you start the season and wanted to stay in the Premier League. So whether you're 17, 16, 15, for whatever, you achieve that. You know, you're not a team that's going for the title that finished 17th. It's different to that. We've just been promoted and now we get another season. But it was based on the takes of the people who were already in media who were basically saying this is very stupid to be celebrating such a thing. I think that's that was daft. So for those guys, like 
Yeah, there's a lot of them in there. And for the city side, like, it's, I think the downside is sometimes I think City fans want you to be really, really, really positive and protect City. But interestingly, with that, that naturally tends to happen for me sometimes because I hear the tone of some of the conversations that certain people are having because a lot of people don't like City. And all of a sudden, my, well, yeah, what if? Playing devil's advocate all of a sudden makes you sound like a proper City shill, a proper one. You know what I mean? Like, it was when City played Liverpool earlier in the season. I was doing something remote and there were two guys in the studio and they were talking about the game and it was when Salah was on fire. I said, oh, Salah is the best player in the world. And, you know, like, I'm just not sure about City's defence and this, that and the other. That was literally the game after they conceded three away at Brentford. So I come on and I said, well, what? But they just conceded three against Brentford. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, that, that's, that's, a, that's a fact. You know what I mean? It's not, oh, in my opinion, they conceded, they conceded three against Brentford, but you're talking about City's defence. And he said, yeah, you see Laporte against... Lukaku and he was this, he was that. I said, but they didn't concede against Chelsea and they didn't have a shot on target. Yeah, but the defence is just a bit shaky, isn't it? I thought, oh my God, because that there is when you realise that, you know, the people who sit in those seats, they have allegiances just like every other fan out there and the teams that they like and they dislike. And I found this out, especially when I was at BT Sport for like a couple of games or whatever, because I was in the little Winnebago waiting to go on air at some point. And you're hearing people say, oh, God, been Jose's at it again. Oh, I hate, really don't like that guy, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, if these are the views that you're expressing, like, off air now, how's this going to affect the job that you're supposed to do, which in theory is supposed mm. to be impartial? Does it, does it matter? Do you think it matters if they hold those views, but, but people are aware of it? So if people are aware that, uh, I don't know, for argument's sake, whoever whoever was in that Winnebago, if, if if the audience knew that they weren't a fan of Jose Mourinho and they'd said so, does that then allow the discussion that they have with everybody else to be a lot more impartial? Because people know, well, this guy doesn't like it. Um, not necessarily, no, because there are different, as we all see, the different like types of, say, role within the media and so on. And for somebody who's calling a game for a national nationally televised thing, like, you, your bias shouldn't come out. Yeah, it shouldn't come out. Like if you if you're in the studio and you're the like say it's West Ham versus I don't know Leeds, and in there you've got like Jermaine Defoe and like Mark Baduka. It's like one's West Ham, one's Leeds. Like I get that. That's what it is. But then when you get in the, into the thing you're supposed to call a game, like this is this is what's like upset, what upset me quite a lot recently. Like I've got to a point where I watch, listen, I watch some games and I just mute the TV. Because some of the sort of like subconscious bias that exists within the people who are talking make you see the game in a different light. Like that's their role to narrate it. But sometimes I couldn't disagree anymore with what's being said, but I find myself being strung along. Like the illusion of pressure. Like say the, the Southampton game just gone. I thought Southampton played well, but they weren't mm. really that dangerous, which is, but it's like, oh yeah, that would have been a penalty if it was onside. Well, he's offside, so this wouldn't have been a penalty. You know what I mean? I'm like, what are we talking about? And then with the De Bruyne, uh, not De Bruyne, the uh, Laporte red card incident, I was supposed to say, ah, yes, yeah, yellow card for me, that. That's just what it is. I'm like, nah, 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 nah. Someone's trying to gaslight me there. That's 100% a red card. But it's like, yes, yeah, it's yellow, so it's fine. Let's move on from it. Like, he's almost controlling the production. Yeah, it's fine. I'm past it. I'm beyond it. I'm this, I'm that. I'm like, what? Am I missing something? And as I say, as a consequence, and then after a game, if you like, if you if United win a game and Gary Neville's doing something post game, like open up, be whatever, because let's be honest, 
who's still tuned in after the game if your team's lost or whatever like if your team's won you tune in to almost like just yeah. revel in the glory of the highlights so i get it be yourself then but if you're calling a game call a game and call it for what it is but you always pick up on some things like i've seen i've watched united games where someone shouted viva ronaldo where someone said this feels like another great european night old trafford i'm like that was like 10 15 years ago like wind your neck in and then um there are other times as i say where somebody says oh before the game i'm really looking forward to watching player x but whenever anybody says that it means that they're not really going to pay attention to the game and they're solely going to be switched on when player x is on the ball and they're the ones who are trying to provide insight for people who maybe don't know what's going on in the field and that's like a massive red flag for me yeah. Would you do, would think... you do co-commentary, Ned, uh, Nedham? Sorry, Howard. I know I know we're no, running fine. out of time. Sorry. Uh, I do co-coms um, with, with Mike Minor every so often, but I don't love it, to be honest. I don't love it because it's too it's too reactive. Like, I'd like to be thoughtful about everything that I say, yeah. but in the yeah. sort of way that the game goes, it's quite hard. But I do, I do really like lead announcers because and I usually think, oh, it's rubbish listening to football on the radio. But then I'm sitting next to someone, I'm talking to them like this, and then all of a sudden, and now we're at, uh, we're at the Etihad as the rain comes down from the northwest corner with the sun shining and the rainbow in the corner as Man City in the, in the sky blue. And the, I'm like, wow, this is actually really good. The way you narrate this makes you really want to, like you feel a part of it, even though you don't see all the sort of action. You feel it. I'm thinking mm. that's really, really good. But then the downside is for all the talent that those guys have, it could be someone next to you who's like, uh, yeah, I, think that, uh, I didn't really see that. <laughs> Um, sorry, yeah, uh, yeah, whatever you said, yeah, you know what I mean? Have you, have like, you, have you been listening to Sam Lee on uh, Radio Manchester again? Do you know, it's funny, I was, just, <laughs> I was actually with Sam Lee earlier, I was with him earlier, he's, he's all right, he's, he's still delivering some takes, but that, that, that Colcoms thing is a very, very interesting slot, and I think some people do it very well, and I think other people are an absolute disaster, and that's why I hit the mute button. Yeah, less is more would be what I would say it's about up. co-commentary, mm-hmm. and I, I'm not naming any names. Uh, That's we all know who they are. We don't need to, do you? Uh, well, it's subjective. Uh, opinions differ on the thing. Yeah. I, I, just the, on the punditry thing, I don't. I as a fan myself, I don't need someone in the. If City have won four 0 I don't need someone telling me, reinforcing the thing that City are good because we know they are. I, I think that I think you've touched on the important thing is when you hear nonsense about City from pundits, it's nice to have that voice there to defend City. Because I really do think it was lacking for many years. Yeah. Opinions it's, it's, are subjective. You can say so and so didn't have a good game and so on, but sometimes you hear something and just like no, yeah. <laughs> no, no, same person can have that view. You are distorted by your view of Manchester City Football Club. Exactly. Yeah, and that's the that's the key thing there. I know we've got to go in a second. That's the key thing for what I have, for whatever I do. I'm trying to bring more sense to the conversation. Like I, I know some people might call it boring. Sometimes people get really, really emotional about things and teams and stuff like that. Like earlier in the year, someone was saying Arsenal, they're finished. Arteta has to go. They're going to finish bottom three. And then literally a month later, they were fourth. But through, but like a month earlier, people were saying, oh, he's got to leave, hasn't he? He's got to go. He's got to go. I'm like, whoa, whoa. It's three games in. Everybody relax. Mm. Everybody relax. So it's basically I'm here just to try and defend reality and just put an end to the sensational amount of nonsense that seems to just form the mainstream part of football coverage these days. To be honest, I've flip-flopped on uh, Arsenal so much this season, I can't talk myself. Maybe <laughs> trying to work out how good Arteta is or how good that side is. Well, yeah, we do have to go soon, but we're, we're a bit flexible on time. 
I'm, uh, you'll hate me for doing this, uh, but can I uh, can I ask you one final question, Adam? Was that the question? No. <laughs> damn. God damn it, I've used my three wishes. <laughs> I paid yourself. No, go on, fire away. Zlatan Ibrahimovic, what are your yes. views on the man? Um, do you want do to you tell want... us a story? Because I think a lot of people won't know it, and I just think it's okay. hilarious. I don't, I don't you think might I know think this it's... story, Howard. I don't... Okay. You may not think it's hilarious, and you may hate me asking No, 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 no. I don't, I don't hate you for it, because it's something that definitely happened, and it was a significant part of my time in the US, actually. So he went, he left Man United to go and play for LA Galaxy, and over in the US, like the MLS is a league that's basically built on stars as opposed to history of football clubs because like the new teams added to the league every year. So it's it's a bit different from that standpoint and it's more like entertainment as opposed to like five generations of fans and their passion and all that stuff in the history. There's not really that much history there. You know, they're, they're, they're in the process of building it. So he's a big star. The league promote him all the time, even though he's dropping in like insane sound bites. Like I'm a Ferrari amongst Fiat's. Like, and some <laughs> of my teammates were laughing. Like, ah, it's so funny. I'm like, he's just called you a Fiat. Like, have some respect. For yourself. <laughs> That's absolutely not the right thing to do. Laughing is not correct. But yeah, people were scared to like step to him or whatever in games. And then we, I played against him. It's the first time playing against him in my career. And the first half was like calm or whatever. It was nil nil. Wasn't saying anything to him. Just cracking on. And then um, start the second half, he like got me around the neck and then threw me to the floor after I was like trying to shield the ball out. So I was like, so I was laying on the floor. I said, like, what are you doing? And he starts doing, telling me to like effing get up, f up your little whatever. So I'm like, nah, triggered. Up I got, get right in his face. I was basically in a non-polite way telling him where to go and stick it. You know, getting right in his grid. And the talk was, oh, don't rile him, don't rile him. I was like, I don't care. Like, who's he talking to? So then for the remainder of that game, which was like 30, 40 minutes, he's heckling me. I'm heckling him. Every time he has a bad touch, I'm laughing at him. I do something bad. He's laughing at me. This, all this stuff. And um, like he got the last laugh. Lo and behold, a striker got the last laugh because he scored the winner. But anyway, the game's finished. And again, this is America. So I was walking off the field, uh, got into our dressing room, fuming because we just lost and we deserved to. I thought we deserved something from the game. And then he walked in. I was like having an out-of-body experience here. I'm like, what? What's one? What? Huh? What's he doing here? And he starts saying, "Have you calmed down yet?" And I thought, "Nah, nah, 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 nah." Triggered again. Like, is he trying to? Is he trying to sum <laughs> me off? He's trying to little boy me. So again, I ever so politely, behind the beeps, told him where to go. Basically, yeah, kicking off. Paraphrasing here. Aren't yeah. You? Oh, please, would you leave the dressing room, please, sir? It would be most polite. <laughs> We're just trying to have a moment here. But I was, I was like going nuts. But it summed up the league. Because only two people in my team backed it. And he managed to get past so many of our staff to just come in. Like, it was, a, it was an away game for us. So, like, it's his stadium. But I don't care. And that's, I got so a lot of respect from that point. Because, like, he's, he, whatever he's done in his career to that point, he was still sharing the field with everybody else. So this mm. guy that was next to me might have been in college six months earlier or whatever. You're on the same field as him because you deserve to be there. You've both earned the right to be there. So don't let anybody try and walk over you just because of what they've done in the past. Because that's a big gripe that I had with the MLS at times. In the, say, in the FA Cup, you'll go and play a team that's a non-league or a lower division, and they won't have the quality of the team in the Premier League, and they might love Man City, but they'll go and make it as uncomfortable as possible for you in the 90 minutes. And if you cross, if anyone crosses the line, then you know they might have wanted to get KDB shirt, but if KDB smashes one of their teammates, it's 11 versus KDB now. Everyone's going to be on him. And I always think about that Cheltenham game for that. Like Cheltenham gave City yeah. a real scare because they they did exactly that. 
exactly and that's the beauty of say like playing in leagues where the identity and stuff is great of a team is greater than it of any individual but unfortunately that wasn't the case in the mls so to talk about him as a as a player the amount of goals he scored is ridiculous fellas six foot four agile great finisher physical everything like incredible but in terms of some of his sound bites and the things that motivate him i couldn't think of a bigger clown in football but you know, at the end of the day, that's what's motivated him, and he's still—he's forty years old, and he's still playing. I'm—I'm I'm in my guest bedroom on a podcast, so you know, at the end of the day, I think, he, I think he won the battle overall. But in that well, moment, steady on. Yeah. Well, I'd he's say it's neck and neck at the just sitting down. Yeah, but like I say, in the grand scheme of things, like it was a big moment for my team because they saw that they need to have a different approach to people like that. And like one of the—this is how daft it was. I've, I forgot to say this bit. One of my teammates. As I was walking off, I've just had beef with him for the for like half a game. He went up to him and asked him for a picture on the field. Get your head around that. Disgusting. And our photographer said no. So he went to their photographer and got a picture with him. And then after the beef happened, the next day, Ellie Galaxy were posting a photo of my teammate and him saying, oh, we're all friends now. I was like, oh, my God. Like, I'm living in a parallel universe here. What is this? <laughs> uh, time has defeated us. Uh, yeah. So... Adam, thank you so, so much for coming on and sparing your time. No worries at all. It was an absolute um, pleasure being on with you. And that was absolutely amazing. Could have talked for another six hours, but... Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm sure you've got lots of things to do. Uh, but yeah, really enjoyed that. Thank you very much. And thank you, David, for coming on as well. No, thank you for putting up with me. Um, it's all Nedham, so uh, so thank you very much. Can I just say as well before I go, Howard, um, yeah. I obviously don't think Sam Lee is an idiot. <laughs> no, he is though. He is. He is. He is. He is. He is. Put, that, put that on record. Put that on record. Nothing to worry about. Yeah, don't worry about I'm it. happy to show you the WhatsApp you sent me earlier, David. <laughs> <Put it down>. <laughs> <laughs> thank, uh, thank you very much, both of you. Anyway, uh, have good. a great evening, and uh, hope you have a good game. You do five aside, David. Uh, yeah, we got we got six aside tonight with uh, aside. Paul, yeah Paul Everton who uh, who does Blue Moon uh, uh, from time to time. He plays as well, so he'll be, uh, we'll, right. be we'll be we'll be kicking a ball around and uh, making fools of ourselves okay. for an hour. Well, thank you both again, and uh, yeah, I hope you have a good game. Thank you very much. See you soon. Oh, thanks, Adam. Cheers. Bye.